Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning. Morning, those of you that are watching online. I hope you had a good last week and are kind of like probably uh, our family, Lori and I, last night, uh, we said, well, we feel pretty good this year. We not too much stress because of presents. Most of them have been bought. Some of you still probably during service, you're going to be on Amazon this morning, kind of knocking out the last few things. Aren't you thankful for Amazon? Come on, Prime. I mean, I'm so thankful. Like one day, even the same day, it's so tempting to yes, buy now. Yes, buy now. Let's go. Uh, And five more dollars, I can have it today. Uh, As you get ready for Christmas, you probably already know this, but on the 23rd of this month, which is just a few days away, uh, instead of having a Christmas Eve service last year because uh, we rent from this church, uh, they had a Christmas Eve service. So we moved our Christmas Eve service to the 23rd and we thought, all right, we'll move it for one year and, and then we'll move back to Christmas Eve the next year. But we loved it so much, and we had more people come last year on the 23rd than, than would normally even come on the 24th, so we left it there. So this year on the 23rd at 5.30 and 7.30, we'll have our Christmas service. And this is, if this is home for you, if City Walk's home for you, this is probably the easiest invite that you will have all year long. And I want to encourage you on your way out today... Grab a handful of invite cards uh, and grab five or ten door hangers if you live in a neighborhood and just go hang them on your, uh, your neighbor's door. We literally have people that come to our church now that said, have told me, y'all just kept putting door hangers on my door, so I just came. And so, man, let's get the word out and uh, let's be praying. It's going to be a really, really good uh, couple services. They're the same. They'll be exactly the same. So unless you just want extra credit that night, you only need to come to one of them. Uh, But they're going to both be great candlelight services. And then after that, just so you guys know, next Sunday we'll have a, we call it, we do it every year. We call it a Sabbath Sunday where we take the Sunday after Christmas totally off. We give all of our bridge builders that serve so faithfully all year long, give them a a weekend off. And then the next Sunday, which is January 1st, we will do, and we do this every year, we'll have an online service. So you can dive in on Facebook or on YouTube, whatever you prefer. And then we're back here on the 8th. And so uh, you can come next week. And if you do, you can preach and you can do the singing and the greeting, turn the snow machine on. You can do all that. It'll be yours. You can do that. Uh, but the rest of us won't be here. So uh, we will see you hopefully though on the 23rd. So during this season, and you know this, a lot of you, and I was talking to some of you out here uh, about this, a lot of us travel during this season. 
So you may be getting ready for the family trip to wherever where you're going to go spend some time with uncle so-and-so and aunt so-and-so, or you're going to go see grandma and grandpa, or, or maybe they're coming to you. Uh, but a lot of people in this season, we, we do some traveling. For our family, it's kind of our normal rhythm that, about, that every other year, we head to the East Coast and we spend time with my side of the family. And so, for instance, we did that last year. So this year we'll be here, but next year, right after the Christmas service, we usually catch a plane the next morning and we head to Alabama where my dad and mom live and, and my brothers, I have two brothers, they come together and their families and, and that's kind of our rhythm. And so that's what we'll do next year. And usually, we, and you guys may already know this, we have a nine-year-old daughter named Kate. And so flying on an airplane and going to see Nana and Pop Pop, man, that's an exciting thing. Uh, for Kate, man, she looks forward to, man, riding on an airplane. She looks forward to, man, going to, to Nana's and having a literally pantry full of sugar in different forms that she can partake in constantly for about a week. Uh, she stays up later than, than normal with her cousins, and, and it's just a really, really good time. And here's what's great for Kate. She has no stress. It's easy for her. Because here's what Kate knows. She knows she doesn't have to worry about getting to the airport on time because her mom and dad are going to make sure she has everything packed and they're going to make sure that we're at the airport on time. Kate's not sitting at home the day before we go on this trip and she's not worried about how the plane's going to fly. She's going to get on a plane and and the pilot has already taken care of that. He's kind of in charge of that or hopefully... He's going to make sure that everybody gets there safe. Kate doesn't have to worry about, hey, when I get to Alabama, I need to get to a grocery store so I make sure I have food. No, because Nana and Pop Pop, they've already thought all that through. They have a place for Kate to sleep. They have all her favorite snacks. They have all all the activities that she enjoys doing. For Kate, she has nothing to worry about, and it's an incredibly fun trip because everything's been provided for her. It would be a little bit kind of weird if Kate, you know, the day before we were leaving was looking up on YouTube how to fly a plane and looking up grocery stores in Alabama so she made sure she got there. Like, that would be a little bit weird. But, But for Kate, there are people that love her dearly, that are smarter than her at this point in her life, that have more resources than her at this point in her life, that are going to provide everything she needs so she doesn't have to worry about anything. So she's going to be able to focus on just having a great time because everything has been provided for her. And looking at Kate's scenario, that's it's pretty obvious and pretty clear cut. Like, Kate, don't worry, don't sweat it. You're going to be taken care of. That's obvious. But what usually happens, and maybe you could say this in your own life, whether you're online or you're here this morning, what usually happens to us is as we get older, we worry about more stuff. We make things that are pretty easy and clear, more complicated and unclear. It's just kind of the norm for what being an adult is. And we do that in a lot of areas of our life, things that were simple and we didn't even worry about as a kid. Man, now they, it consumes our life as adults. 
And what was so clear and easy and straightforward when we were young and didn't have a lot of things to worry about becomes complicated and unclear and and just fuzzy. And we do this in a lot of areas, but one of the areas we do this in is we do this in our relationship with God, which is one of the reasons that there's a conversation that we've kind of looked at the last few weeks. There was a conversation between a guy named Joseph who was really confused and probably very disappointed and an angel that we've been looking at that is so helpful to this exact scenario of taking what is unclear and foggy and what in the world's going on and giving a little bit of clarity to it. And, and you, you, you've probably heard of this guy named Joseph. If you've been here the last few weeks, you have. But even if you didn't grow up in church, you know there was this guy named Joseph. You've seen him in like a manger scene or a Christmas play once or twice. And, and he was a, a dude who was engaged to a lady named Mary. He finds out that Mary is pregnant and he knows that the baby that she's pregnant with is not his kid. And so as you would expect, man, that's a a little little bit hard on him. It's disappointing. He's probably confused and he's not quite sure what to do. And and, and it's not really the way he had it planned out. And, And then in his confusion and disappointment, God sends this angel to him. To give him a message that brings a lot of clarity to his confusion and disappointment. It says this in Matthew 1.23 as we kind of dive into that portion of that conversation. This is the angel talking to him and it says this. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Joseph, hey... All this stuff that's happening, your, 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 your fiancé that's now pregnant and, and there's a lot of confusion and you're not really sure and, and you're, you don't know why this happened. Well, hey, buddy, all this happened on purpose. All this has been talked about literally for hundreds of years. And so what's taking place was actually part of a lot bigger plan. And, and then the, the angel goes on and says this in verse 23. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And as I mentioned last week, this idea, as as Joseph's kind of hearing this, and we, if you grew up in church, you've heard this verse maybe a million times. Even if you didn't, you may have heard this in a song or something like that. But, but to this guy, Joseph, man, this is new information. This idea that Emmanuel, God, is going to come and be with us. And I said this last week, this is either really good news or really bad news to Joseph and to us. It's either really good news or really bad news based on one question. And that question is simply this, who is God? Whether this idea that God is coming to be with us is good or bad comes down to what type, who is this God? What's he like? What does he care about? And Joseph, he's hearing this. He's hearing this idea that God is coming to be with us. And you know this, we live in a society 
where both religious and irreligious people kind of celebrate God coming to earth, whether they know it or not. They, they sing songs. They have, they, they, on their Christmas playlist that they play at their Christmas party, it's singing songs about this God coming to earth, whether they even believe in the God or not. You, you go to, to, to stores and there's manger scenes of, of this kind of depiction of this baby coming and God. And, and so our, our world kind of celebrates this and leans into this while many don't really know the God they're celebrating. Who is this God? What's he like? And so one of the things that we've done over the last few weeks is we've been leaning into this question because if, if we're going to celebrate Emmanuel, God with us, then whether we embrace that God or not, it's at least important that we know who the God is. What is he like? And so we've been asking ourselves that question the last few weeks. Who is God? And, and three weeks ago, we, we said this. The first thing we looked at was that God is in control. He's sovereign. That means this God who came to earth is, is not a God that gets surprised. He's not a God that ever goes, whoops, didn't see that coming. God is in control. He's sovereign. Everything that happens, he allows, he permits, or he orchestrates. He's in control. Last week, we looked at another area that kind of spoke of this God, and we said this, God is limitless. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's all-present. We talked about that. And today what I want to do is we continue to lean into this God who is with us, we celebrate him, is I want to look at the fact that God is our provider. And here's why this is important. And whether you believe this or not, it's probably true. You and I both spend a lot of our time, whether we want to admit it or not, Worrying about things and putting a lot of effort into things. And a lot of those things we worry about and put a lot of effort into are already provided for us. Similar to my, my story about Kate. Like, Kate, you can watch YouTube videos on becoming a pilot if you want. You can, you can get a couple books and study up. And you can, you can stay up at night the night before we're at the trip to Nan and Pop Pop's house and you can worry about it and you can think about it and you can wonder if you're going to be able to fly the plane. But it's a waste of time because you're going to get on a plane and there's already a pilot there. There's already a pilot that is going to fly that plane so you can spend all the time you want worried about becoming a pilot and if you know how to fly that plane but that has already been provided for you and and so what we're going to do is we're going to look at that and and this truth was was one if you were to go back to almost the very beginning of the scriptures in genesis chapter uh 15 13 22 kind of in that area there's this guy, and you've heard of this guy, even if you didn't grow up in church, there's this guy by the name of Abraham that this idea of God as provider became crystal clear to this guy. He understood that really, really well by the end of his life. See, if, whether you've heard of Abraham or not, Abraham, he was born in what would be known as modern-day Iraq. 
And he lived there for, for a lot of his life, up to about 75 years. He was about 75 years old. And at, at the age of about 75, God said to him, Hey, Abraham, I know you've lived here. I know this is kind of home for you. But actually, what I want you to do is I want you to get up. I want you to move your family to a place you've never been. And oh, by the way, though you have no kids now and you're really old, I'm actually going to make you the father of nations. You're going to have tons of kids. You're going to be the dad of entire nations. And so Abraham, he's 75 years old. He and his wife, Sarah, man, they, they pack things up. Again, they don't have any kids and they, they make the move to where God has told them to move. And it's they're, they're, they're living there and, and Abraham remembers, hey, God said that I'm going to be the father of nations and one year passes and two and five and now he's 85 years old and it's like, did God really mean that? And let me help God out because God hasn't provided. And so what Abraham did at the age of 85 is he's like, you know what? Haven't had any kids with my wife. And so let me, let me sleep with one of our kind of employees and we'll have a kid. I'll have a kid with her. And maybe that's how God's going to do this. And so he does. And she gets pregnant and they have a kid, but that's not, that wasn't God's plan. And so now Abraham's 85, 86 years old, and he's got a kid, but it's not the kid that God promised. And he's probably thinking, I'm sure God's done with me. I blew it. I went ahead of him, you know, kind of probably got written off by God. And five years passed, 10 years passed. And now Abraham, 15 years later, is literally months away from 100 years old. And God comes back to him. And says this in Genesis chapter 17. I will make you, you now 99, your wife in her 90s. I will make you extremely fruitful. And will make nations and kings come from you. And within a year, God answered that prayer and gave them a son. Genesis 21 tells us about it. It says this in verse 2 of Genesis 21. It says, Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. And that's putting it nicely. At the appointed time, God had told him. Abraham named his son who was born to him, the one Sarah bore, Isaac. So, so he has this kid. Now he's 100 years old. Sarah is now 91. God, you know, when he was 75, so 25-ish years ago, God told him he was going to have a kid, which at that point he would have been so old to have kids. But now that baby is finally born. And they, they named the baby Isaac. And so, man, they are in a spot where they have probably now just, you know, broken the Guinness Book of World Records. That's the oldest parents. The newspapers are probably out doing stories. But, but after the newspapers leave and the world record people leave, they're, they're at home and life is good. They, they have this son that has been promised to him. He's growing. He's healthy. He's 10 years old and he's 15. They're just enjoying life. Now he's a young adult. Abraham and Sarah, not only do they have a son, but man, they are incredibly wealthy. Life has been good to them. They have done a lot of meaningful things in their life and have, it's been a good life. And now they're, 
you know, Abraham is well into his hundreds. He's probably thinking, I can take a deep breath and rest. Life's good. But then God came to Abraham with one more assignment, which would become one of, if not the most important thing he ever did in his life. And we see what God said to him, what God came to him at his, I mean, he's at least probably 120, maybe up to like 130, 135. Like he is an old dude. And God comes to him. Genesis 22 and says this, after these things, after Isaac's born, decades have passed, the scriptures say this, God tested Abraham. And said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered. So Abraham, well into his hundreds, God comes to him and God tests him. And when you think of the word test, here's here's what we're talking about. Man, when God tests someone in the scriptures, it's this idea of proving the quality of something. It's not enticing Abraham to do wrong. It's, It's proving. Think chemistry test in high school. You go into chemistry... They give you the test. You you take that test to prove to the teacher what you've learned and kind of where you're at in this whole chemistry thing, like how far you've come. Well, this is what God's doing. He's he's coming to Abraham and he's going to test the quality of Abraham's faith with what he's about to ask Abraham to do. And it says this in verse two, he says this, he says, I want you to take your son the, the one you've waited for, the, the son that you love with all your heart, the son that is literally the fulfillment of God's promise to you. I want you to take that son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. I want you to go to the land of Moriah, and I want you to offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. And it's in this moment that God didn't explain God, he, he, he didn't leave room for discussion. He, he gave Abraham some very clear instructions. And for Abraham, you talk about like a gut punch. This is like the ultimate gut punch. God comes to him and says, I want you to take this son that you love, that you've waited literally your entire life for. And I want you to sacrifice him. And I mean, it must have been a gut punch, but, but then just imagine, now Abraham has to walk into the tent where Sarah is and say, hey, God just came and talked to me. And, and he has to explain as best he can. Like, like, Sarah, this is what God told me to do. I don't, I don't have a lot of explanation. I, I don't really know what God is doing, but I know what he told me to do. And it's in this moment that God's lack of explanation was setting the stage for his provision. God didn't say, hey, Abraham, let's sit down and talk through this whole thing. He told Abraham exactly what to do. And Abraham, he knew that it was his role to pro- not to be the provider, but to trust the provider and obey the provider. And so during what must have been a heart-wrenching night for Abraham, he somehow had this quiet confidence that would give him the courage to obey. 
The next verse says this. So Abraham got up early in the morning. I think I might have called in sick that day or at least slept in. But not Abraham. He got up early in the morning. He saddled his donkey and took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. He split wood for a burnt offering and set out to go to the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. He saw Moriah, which was around Jerusalem. It was a hill around Jerusalem. It had taken him about three days. Three days of probably sitting around a campfire with his son. Three days of walking and talking and just spending time with them. And then he looks up in the distance and he sees the place that God has told him to take his son and sacrifice him. So Abraham, man, he's kind of like business. He just, all right, let's go. Verse 5, he says this, And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship. And then he says this, Then we'll come back to you. Not I. We. We're going over there to worship God. But then we're, we're coming back together. And it was in that moment that Abraham, he didn't know why God was asking. He didn't know how God was going to do this. But he was confident in who God was. He remembered what God had promised him. And so he tells the, the, the guys that he's, that he's kind of been with, he says, hey, don't, don't go far because we're going to be back. We'll be back. Then it says this in verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he laid it on his son Isaac. And so this just small thing that you see, so Isaac's able to carry the wood all the way up to the mountain. So Isaac, you see these pictures of Isaac. He's not like this little kid that his dad Abraham is. This is a grown man that's able to take the wood on his back and carry it up a mountain. This is not just, a, this isn't little kid Isaac. This is a grown man Isaac. That's way stronger than his dad, who's over 100 years old. So he, so he lays the, the wood on Isaac, and, and it says this, In his hand he took the fire and the knife, and the two of them walked on together. Then Isaac, he's a pretty perceptive guy, says this, And Isaac spoke to his father and said, Father, and he replied, Here I am, my son. Isaac said, I, I see the fire. I obviously know I have the wood, but where's the lamb? Like, we got to have something to put on the altar. Like, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And it's in that moment that Abraham says this. He says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked on together. He's basically saying, you know what? My role is not to provide. My role is to obey. God doesn't need my help. He just asked me to trust Him. And so God will take care of the offering. When they arrived at the place that God had told him about, Abraham built the altar and there arranged the wood. Most likely Abraham, again, Abraham's an old guy. So most likely they're doing this together. They're building this together. And then the scripture says this, then he bound his son Isaac 
and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. And when I read this, I'm reminded that that Isaac is a grown man. If push came to shove, he could whoop his dad. And so that means that Isaac crawled up on the altar because if he didn't want to get up there, his dad was maybe 135 years old. He wasn't going to outmuscle his son to get him on the like. Isaac had to trust his dad and trust his dad's relationship with God so much that he was willing to follow his dad's lead and get up on the altar. And this, this is such, a, and I don't, we, we don't want to miss this because you know this. And if you don't, I hope that you, you, you will catch this. Your faith has the potential to inspire the people you love the most to follow God and do hard things. If you're a sibling, your faith has the ability, by by your little brother or little sister watching you, your faith has the ability and the power to give them courage to obey God and do hard things. Dad, your faith and and your, your... you know, listening to God and obeying God and, and your kids watching you do that through the ups and downs of life has the, the ability and the potential impact to, to help your kids make hard decisions and do hard things and have courage when their faith is tested. And that's what's happening here. I mean, why would Isaac crawl up on an altar? He, he, he knows what happens. He's probably sacrificed hundreds, if not thousands of animals over his years. He knows how this goes. But yet you see this grown man crawl up on the altar which, with, with seemingly no, no issues because his dad told him to. And so now the altar's built. Isaac's laying on it. And amidst what was probably a heartbreaking and kind of confusing moment, maybe Abraham's in a spot where he's like, God, I thought you would have come through by now. Abraham, he begins to obey. The scripture says this in verse 10, Then Abraham reached out and he took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord, who we believe was probably Jesus, when the Bible talks about the angel of the Lord, many times in the Old Testament, it's referring to a pre-incarnate son of God, says this, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he replied, here I am. Then he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him for now. I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your only son from me. And then it says this. Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. See, a few hours earlier, he had told his son. He didn't know how it was going to happen, but he told his son, God will provide a lamb. He had told The guys that had come with him to the mountain, hey, we're going to go worship and we're going to come back. I have no clue how it's all going to happen. 
but I know God's going to provide. And so it's in, in, in that moment that, and kind of I see it this way in my mind's eyes, as Abraham's literally helping his son off the altar and kind of untying his hands, and they're probably hugging each other and maybe tears. They both look up and they look into the, the brush, into the thicket, and they see a ram together. And I don't know if they said anything or if it was just like that was enough, like they, God did what he said he was going to do. God provided the way he said he was going to. So it says, so Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham, he named the place, the Lord will provide. So today it is said, it will be provided in the Lord's mountain. Verse 15 says, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, hey, by myself I have sworn this is the Lord's declaration. Because you have done this, this thing, and you have not withheld your son, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your offspring will possess the city gates of their... Of their, your offspring will possess the city gates of their enemies. And then look at this verse. And all, not some, not a few, not one, all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your kids because you have obeyed my command. And, and here's, here's how this plays out. God kept his promise because 42 generations later, there was a little baby who was one of Abraham's distant kids born in a manger to a a young couple named Joseph and Mary. That young baby would grow up and At the age of 33, after living a sinless life, that baby who was named Jesus would go to a cross. Like Isaac, he would lay on that cross without fighting. He would willingly give up himself. But he he did it because, not because of anything he had done, but it was because it was part of his father's plan. He would lay on that cross, he would take a beating, he would be nailed to that cross, he would be humiliated, he would bleed and die, not to pay for his own sin, but to pay for the sin of the world, to provide an opportunity for men, women, boys and girls to have a relationship with the God of the universe, the God who provides. And Jesus is the ultimate example of God's provision. He provided a way so that you and I could have a relationship with God and have an answer to the biggest problem in our life, the biggest, most destructive thing in our life, and that is sin. 
And, and what's so cool is after Jesus died and they, they put his body in a grave, you know the story, even if you didn't grow up in church, three days later, Jesus rose from the grave. He's alive today. And, and here's the thing, no matter whether you're watching online or, or you're here this morning, no matter where you are as it relates to faith, whether you even, you may not even buy into the whole Jesus thing. You may be like kind of leaning in because it's Christmas, somebody invited you, you may be watching online, come across, you came across this uh, just kind of as you were scrolling through something, and, and you may, if you're honest, you may be like, I don't even know if I buy into the whole thing. I know I celebrate Christmas and do some of the stuff, but I don't really know that I buy into it. Whether you're somebody like that or whether you're somebody that's been following Jesus and, and, and man, you can't remember a day when you weren't focused on following Jesus. Doesn't matter where you are, all of us would probably agree that worrying about and wasting our effort on things that are already provided for us is probably not good to do. Again, that's, you don't have to be a person of faith or not a person of faith. Like we would all agree, like if something's been provided for you, something's been taken care of for you, then, then why would you spend a lot of time? It would be a waste of your time, your worry, your effort to worry about something that's already been taken care of for you. And, and see, Abraham, he, he seemed to understand this. And instead of kind of wringing his hands and us reading about how worried he was and how, how slow he was to obey God, somehow he, he kind of got this. And instead of wringing his hands and, and kind of trying to do God's job or outthink God or I don't think God really meant that, he did what he was called to do. So here's the question. And this is just personal. This is just personal question. And maybe you've never even thought about this question and personally applied it. But, but here's the question I've been thinking about. And I'll, I'll put my, like, am I? And you put your name. Are, are you trying to do God's job? Have, have you ever thought about that? Are you trying to do God's job? Abraham, in that moment when he was told what to do and how, what God wanted him to do, he, he didn't seem to like worry about what God had said as far as, no, God didn't really mean that and I got to fix that for God. He just seemed to obey. He didn't try to do God's job for him. But I find it, it's pretty easy, at least in my life, maybe you don't do this, but it's pretty easy for me to be tempted to help God out or try and kind of do God's job and try to provide for myself what God has already promised and provided. So, so let, me, let me be practical. Do, do you try to provide peace for yourself? Do you find yourself like just doing things to provide peace for yourself? Do you find yourself kind of trying to manufacture happiness? Do you find yourself kind of trying to worry your way into courage? Like if I worry and think about this enough, maybe I'll be brave enough to actually do it. Do you find yourself like working and working and working, just thinking that finally at the end of this thing, maybe I'll get some fulfillment out of this. I just, I just got to keep going. And probably if we're honest, whether you're online or here, the answer is yes. Every single one of us has done this. 
Every single one of us at some point in our life, whether it's right now or another time in our life, every single one of us has tried to do God's job for him. We've tried to provide ourselves peace. We've tried to manufacture happiness. We've tried to to do things to give ourselves hope. And here's what usually happens. And, And probably if we were to and we won't, don't get nervous. But if we were to pass a microphone around and we were all honest, we would say, you know what? I've tried that. And, and, and what I end up doing is I end up trying to find something to numb the fact that I can't really provide it for myself. So I try to get peace. I try to get happiness. I try to not be anxious and not worry. And then I try to kind of do God's job for him. But when I figure out that I can't do that and that I'm never really peaceful, I just try to numb that fact. And it helps me for a little while. And some of us numb it with alcohol. Some of us numb it with food. Some of us numb it with pornography. Some of us numb it with, I mean, you fill in the blank. There's so many things we try to numb the fact that we can't provide what we really need for ourselves. We just numb it so we don't have to think about it for a while. So here's the thing, and this isn't like rocket science, and this isn't like, oh, I never knew that. Here's the thing. I'm not God and neither are you. You're like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. We all know that. My job is not to provide. I am called to trust and obey the provider. It's not my job to provide myself peace. It's not my job to make me joyful and happy. It's not my job to manufacture peace for my kids and joy for my kids. It's not my job. I can't do the stuff in the heart. We can't do that. See, my my job is not to provide. I am called to trust and obey the provider. And here's the good thing. God loves us and has provided everything we need to live out his best for us. Both in this life and in eternity. So, So whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not, the, the fact that this book right here, In it, God has laid out everything we need for our marriage, everything we need for our worry, everything we need for our finances, everything we need for our sexuality, everything we need for our parenting, everything we need to to deal with our stress, everything we need to deal with relationships at work, God has provided it for us. He's told us about it. One of the things that uh, my son and I are trying to do is we try to read through Proverbs. And Austin, he, he doesn't live at our house. He lives in an apartment. And so what, what we'll do is, in fact, I did it this morning. We take a picture of the verse that stands out to us that day in Proverbs. And, and we'll kind of text it to each other. And as I read through Proverbs, I, I try to do it every day. It, it's like, man, if I just did what this said... My, the thing that's been knocking on me lately is the way I run my mouth. And I, there's so many verses in, in, in Proverbs that just like, if you would just do what that says, Chris, you would never blow your top and say something you shouldn't say. God provides it for us. And, and, but what we try to do is we try to be like Kate. 
You know what? I know God's provided it. I know the pilot, he's ready to fly the plane. But you know what? I just feel better if I worry about it myself and if I waste time myself trying to be a pilot. And it's like, it's already taken care of, Kate. Well, I'm going to try to do it my way with my money, God. I'm going to try to do it my way with my sexuality, God. I'm going to try to do it my way with my marriage. God's like, you can if you want, but I've already kind of told you how to do it that's best for you. You just got to decide. One of Jesus' disciples, Peter, who, man, (laughs) Peter wasn't a guy that always did the right thing. And sometimes he did it his own way. And he became popular because he did it his own way a few times. But he said this towards the end of his life. In 2 Peter 1.3, he said this. He said, by his divine power, God has, has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all this by coming to know him. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Peter says, man... When you came to know God, when, when you know God, you have everything you need. You have everything you need to, to do what God's asked you to do. You have everything you need to live a life that is God's best for you. You have everything you need. And, and instead of doing, trying to do God's job, the best thing you and I can do is spend time getting to know God. Not trying to do or rethink what he's already laid out, but get to know him. It's the reason that Abraham could tell his son, God will provide a lamb because he knew God and he knew God not just kind of, he knew God well and so he trusted God. He trusted him completely. But here's the thing. It's hard to trust somebody you don't know. So if you find yourself kind of trying to be your own provider, maybe it's because you don't know the real provider well. You don't even know what's available. Because it is, man, it's, it's hard to trust somebody if you don't know them well. See, and what I found, and I don't always live this out, but God's best is, is usually on the other side of my trust. Similar to Abraham's story. I mean, he he trusted God through a tough thing. And and then at the end of it, it's like, oh, I'm glad I did this. So that statement, my job is not to provide. I am called to trust and obey the provider. And when I do, and when you do, and when you do that are watching online, not only do we realize God's best in our life. And it's not, don't ever hear me say it's like a problem-free life. If somebody told you following God and that God's best was an easy life for you, they lied to you. That's the reason we need Jesus is because of sin. Sin screws up everything. That's why our world is all messed up. So yeah, this is not, it's not going to always be easy. It's not always going to be like great. There's going to be challenges for sure. But, but through those challenges, through the ups and downs, God says, hey, I have peace for you. I have hope for you. I have a plan for you. You don't need to lay up in bed all night, losing sleep, worried about stuff. I am your provider. Just spend time getting to know me. 
and get to know me. And when you do, you will realize God's best for you, but you will also, God, God may very well use you to inspire somebody else to do the same thing. God may use you to inspire your daughter, your son, your grandkid to trust God, to follow his path because they saw their grandpa do it. They saw their uncle do it. They saw their sister do it. And so they do it. Let's pray. As we close, every head bowed and every eye closed, and just kind of closing things up before we pray. This season, and you know this, this is a season we celebrate you know, God with us. But I, I know for me, it's, it's easy to get caught up in kind of the, yeah, this is what we do every year, and, and not really remember, hey, who is this God that we celebrate coming to earth? Who is this God that we celebrate being with us? And, and he's the God who's in control. He's the God who is limitless. He's the God who provides. And he's here for us. But, but here's, maybe you're not like me, but, but what I, usually it's not for lack of knowledge. It's for lack of trust and obedience in my life. And so maybe you found yourself spending a lot of time worrying and even a lot of effort towards things that in the scriptures God has laid out clearly. And you never thought of it this way, but... but now that you're kind of sitting here now, you, you think about maybe, maybe it's just the fact that I don't know this God well, and because I don't know him well, I don't trust him. I don't spend time with him, and so I just don't trust him. So I find myself trying to do his job. And in, in this season, when hopefully you're going to be able to take a few days or even a few hours and slow down, I my prayer for you, if you're a follower of Jesus, is that you would spend some time getting acquainted with this God that we celebrate coming to earth. And as you and I spend time getting to know this God better, I think we'll trust him more. And not only will we trust him more, but I think we'll also have an opportunity and a privilege to Maybe inspire somebody else to trust him as well. Maybe you're here, you're watching online, and with every head bowed and every eye closed, you're, you're not a follower of Jesus. And you're not even sure kind of what you totally believe about all this, but as, before we close, let me just say something. Dude, God loves you deeply. And, and he proved it, not just by talking about it, he proved it by sending his son to die on the cross and raise from the dead so that you and I could have a relationship with him. And today as he offers peace and he offers hope and he offers heaven, he offers that on the other side of your trust in him. You say, Chris, how do, I, how do I take that step? How do I start a relationship with this God? How do I really place my trust in Him? Real simple. Just in the quietness of this room or wherever you're watching or listening to this, just 
in the quietness of your heart, just tell God, God, I, I admit to you, I, I try to do things my own way. God, I admit to you that I've disobeyed you. I have sinned is what the Bible calls it. Just tell God. And then just tell him, God, I, I believe. I believe that, that you died on the cross for my sin. You rose from the grave for me. Maybe you have questions about the Bible. You're not sure what, it, what Genesis really means or what this Old Testament passage means. You don't have to have the answer to all those things. The question is, did Jesus live? Did Jesus die? And do you want a relationship with God through Jesus? So just tell him, God, I believe that Jesus died, that he rose from the grave. I want a relationship with you, God. And then just ask God, come into my life. Transform me. I want a relationship with you. As we close, if, if you're here or you're watching online and you'd say, Chris, man, today I prayed to start a relationship with Jesus. Or, or maybe you have a question. If you're watching online, you can go to citywalk.cc. There's a decision card you can fill out that we'll get. We'll contact you and just kind of talk about your questions or the decision you made. If you're here in person and you made a decision to follow Jesus, to start a relationship with him, we would love to know about it. You can take that decision card right in front of you. You can fill it out during this last song. And then on your way out, just drop it by the next steps table or you can just put it in the offering basket. Lord, thank you. For providing. This is a season that, man, we, we see your provision in unique ways. And God, I pray that whether we're new to faith, whether we're still investigating faith, or whether we've been following you for a long time, that we would not try to do your job, that we would not spend our lives and our thoughts and our worries on things that you have made clear and that you have provided, but that we would trust and obey the provider. And Lord, our desire is that when our time on earth is over, that we will have impacted the next generation in such a way that they will also trust and obey the provider because of what they saw in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.